I want to share in the scripture reading for today. Uh, two different passages, one from Psalms and the other from 1 John. So first of all, from Psalm 32, verses 3 through 6. Again, Psalm 32, 3 through 6. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your, hands was he- your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. And then also from 1 John, 1 John 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 2. This is a message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father on our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We've had a lot to celebrate this morning. There's many more activities, some that we don't know about, birthdays, anniversaries, all kinds of different things that come and go. In all of life, one of the things that we... uh, can celebrate the most about our faith is that when we find that we have failed, God has provided a way. Confession is a part of prayer that so often gets singularly tagged to just being about sinning and and about something that we did wrong. I hope just to give you a slight preview as we move through uh, pretty quickly this morning, but um, want to, to say it's more than just that, and we'll see that in a bit. After hearing a sermon on confession, a man approached his pastor with a heavy conscience. He asked the pastor what he should do. Um, and he worked for a boat builder and had been stealing expensive brass nails for quite some time. And he could not tell the, the boat builder because he would lose his job. And he will think I'm a hypocrite because of all the times I shared my faith with him. And all of that would go to waste. Finally, it got, he, his guilt got so bad that he, he had to confess. And he offered 
his boss, the owner, restitution. And this was the boss's response. He said, sir, I always did think you were just a hypocrite. But now I begin to feel there's something in this Christianity after all. Any religion that would make a dishonest workman come back and confess that he has been stealing copper nails and offer to settle for them must be worth having. God always blesses humility and blesses the forgiveness that we seek and the acknowledgement of what we have done wrong. There's probably a lot more discipling that can go on with that boss if he does consider claiming the faith for himself. Um, That being to teach him more about what faith in God really is is about. But there are really three ways this morning that I want to just share with you uh, that are different forms of confession. So the one I already gave you a preview of, all three are important to include in prayer. And we have all three of these in the Lord's Prayer. But we probably don't think about the different kinds of ways that confession plays out. But if we want to have a prayer that makes an impact on our lives, we're going to definitely need to practice and identify all three. uh, Because uh, all three are ways in which we are honest with God. Now, a few weeks ago, I shared with you a statistic about how something like 90% of most Americans, of all of Americans, you know, lie pretty regularly. And, um, and almost half of those don't feel like there's anything wrong with it. In fact, this question of being honest with God has sort of gotten pushed into the shadows. The first form of confession that we have is confession as a declaration. In the New Bible Dictionary, it says, a biblical understanding of confession means to, dis- to, gl- to declare publicly a personal relationship with and an allegiance to God. It is an act of open and joyful commitment made to God in the presence of the world by which a congregation or individual's bind themselves in loyalty to God or to Jesus Christ. So in other words, it's a clarification of where we stand with God. We call confession, uh, we, we call our doctrine a confession of faith. It's not a confession that is related to sin. It's a confession related to saying, here I declare who my God is and who my God is to me. And that's an important part of it. So when we talk about confession and prayer, for example, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That is a confession in the form of a declaration. You are God. I am not. <laughs> and so it is, it is a, a statement of honoring God and, and that's the hallowed word is about respecting God and showing respect. So in a sense, when we make that confession, we simplify our lives 
because we clarify, okay, this is who I am and this is not who I am. In this case of the guy stealing, you know, the, uh, the brass nails, um, he wants to be known as a believer and he's shared his faith with the boss many times, but he still sins. Now we'll get to that form of confession, but for now, let's just establish, first of all, this commitment and this relationship and the willingness to declare it publicly is powerful. So it's a, in some ways, it's an actual profession of the faith. It's, it's fourth, it's disclosure about who we center our lives around. In Romans 10, verses 8 to 11, it says, The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, that the message concerning faith that we proclaim, Paul says. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's that profession of faith that is the first form of confession that we have. He goes on to say, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess, profess your faith and are saved. And as scripture says in verse 11, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. So it's a profession of who we are committed to follow. Um, in Matthew 10, 32, it says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men him I will also confess before the Father who is in heaven. You hear the, the context of this word confess? This is from, from Jesus' words. Whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So this form of confession recognizes what God's done for us and it shows honor to God. The second form of confession is confession as a commitment to God. Uh, it simplifies where to go with God in this journey. It's one thing to just say, oh, I'm a person of faith, I'm a person of faith, but am I willing to keep following in the faith? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 7. Uh, in verses 21 to 23, the subtitle is interesting because it, the subtitle that they chose uh, in the NIV was True and False Disciples. Verse 21 of, of Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And so this form of confession is a, a confession that is committed to living out our lives in the way that Jesus has shown us, in the way that scripture teaches us. He goes on to say in verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. 
away from me, you evildoers. The point he's making here is that um, just because we say the words doesn't mean that we have truly meant our confession of faith in Christ. I won't take time, but the rest of that passage in Matthew 7 goes on to talk about uh, the uh, building your house on the rock and on the sand. And you read that and look at that, and it's just an example of the fact that this, this confession of faith as a declaration has to be followed up with a confession of, of, of a commitment to live out that faith. Otherwise, the declaration of faith is, is meaningless. That's just simply uh, a churchy thing that you do. It's a ritual. It's empty of the true spirit of the living God. Uh, I, I love what uh, Charles Spurgeon said in a sermon. You just, you have to, it's going to take you a little bit to get the language that he uses. But it's pretty powerful. I hope you pick this up. He says in a sermon on the confession of sin, um, he says this, the repentance that was born in the storm died in the calm. That repentance of his uh, that was begotten amidst the thunder and the lightning ceased as soon as all was hushed and quiet. And the man who was a pious mariner when on board ship became the most wicked and abominable of sailors when he was placed, when he placed his foot on the terra firma on earth, on land. How often, too, have we seen this in a storm of thunder and lightning? Many a man's cheek is blanched when he hears the thunder rolling. The fears start to his eyes, and he cries, Oh God, I have sinned, while the rafters of his house are shaking, and the very ground beneath him reeling at the voice of God, which is full of majesty. But alas, for such a repentance, when the sun again shines and black clouds are withdrawn, sin comes again upon the man and he becomes worse than before. In other words, when things are going well, it's great to praise God. When things are going bad, we tend to take away our trust and then we tend to, to actually seek him to rescue us from it but as soon as we have what we want and our prayers are answered, we have no more need of God and we turn away. That's what Spurgeon's saying. He's saying it's so human nature to just go to God with what we need and want. And that in fact, confession of faith and confession in prayer has to also be a prayer that is in the good and the difficult times, the struggles, the storm and the calm the high waves, and the pleasant waters. And that's the second and most powerful way that it, it, it basically validates the first confession. And so this is why you have such harsh words in scripture about those who are hypocritical and why there's a lot of confrontation by God and his, his lead, chosen leaders because basically, if we're not willing to live out what we say we believe, or we do the opposite, or we 
turn away from God because we don't need him now because everything's going great, it invalidates the declaration of the first confession in trusting God. Um, and another a couple of examples of that, I just want to point to Colossians 2, 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us uh, and has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So this moves us into the, the third part of the confession as a restoring of what is broken and the restoring of right relationships. And after all, all of this is designed because God wants a companionship with his people. He wants you to be able to experience walking with him and, and, and he wants to experience that communion with us. And he wants nothing more than that. So the whole reason Christ came was to restore relationship, to give hope and courage. And so this third form is, it's not just restoring right relationship, it means you have to deal with sin. And the reality is, is that dealing with sin is, and the wrongs that we've done is the third part of confession. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And so this passage that Doug read from 1 John, I encourage you to study that and study that and study that. Because that passage from 1 John 1, 5 to 2, 2 is about sin and forgiveness. It's about restoring what was broken. It's about making it right. D.L. Moody told the story of a lady in north of England who said, every time she got down before God to pray, five bottles of wine came before her mind. She had taken them wrongfully one time when she was a housekeeper and had not been able to pray since. She was advised to make restitution. She said, but the person is dead now. And the, 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 the uh, person she was talking to says, are not some of the heirs living? Yes, a son. Then go to the son and pay him back. Well, she said, I want to see, I want to see the face of God, but I could not think of doing a thing like that. My reputation is at stake. And then she went away and came back the next day to ask if it would do to just, well, put the money in the treasury for the Lord. No, she was told. God doesn't want any stolen money. That's what it is. The only thing is to make restitution. So she carried it for several more days and finally it got to her. She couldn't take it anymore. She went to the son and made a full confession, offered him a five-pound note, and he said he didn't want the money, but she finally persuaded him to take it and came back with a joy and a peace that made her face radiant. She became, ended up becoming a magnificent worker for souls, primarily because that opened up something that was clogged. Now, I know many of us here have either had some kind of a heart procedure or 
know someone very close to you who does. And one of the things that I learned in, in my heart procedure, and this is no different than many of us, you start to see other areas of your life and, you, and your body, your other areas of your body that don't seem to be functioning well. Whether there's pain or there's a heaviness or there's a cloud, just like it was for this woman, there's something that is blocking You can't seem to breathe as well. You struggle more. You maybe don't sleep well. Maybe you, uh, it's so bad that you have, you know, sharp and direct chest pain or leg pain because the blood flow is not flowing. There is something that is clogging the artery, the spiritual arteries from being able to experience the fullness of, of health and joy and peace with God. Now, that illustration is one that we we can try all kinds of forms of medical procedures. Spiritually, I'll tell you, the only way to unclog the spiritual arteries is through the confession of sin. And being able to actually make right what was broken. In James 4, 14 to 16, he's giving this encouragement. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. A prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. And so it it enables us to grow. It enables us to be able to have a spiritual blood flow and a relationship that has been restored. Psalms 32.3 says, or uh, 32.5 says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess, confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all of the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. So confession includes repentance. It's agreeing with God and being honest with God. I have sinned. I was wrong. I know sometimes in marriage that is always a a joke, and it's not a joke. The ability to say, I was wrong. I made a mistake. You're right. The shirt that I accused you of hiding from me was in there along with the other shirts all along, but because you're a one-eyed pastor who is a little myopic at times, uh, you can't see it, and, and, well, you get the point. We tend to keep shying away from acknowledging, okay, God, I've sinned. I've wronged you. And I've wronged someone else often. And so that acknowledgement. So we don't confess, if we don't confess, We suffer physically, we suffer emotionally, 
If we do confess, we experience forgiveness and cleansing and an ability to recalibrate our direction. Augustine said something that is interesting. He said, confession has been, is described as a daily baptism. You know the great joy when we gather around the pond or gather here in the sanctuary to celebrate baptism. What a great joy that is. What about the rest of us? Shouldn't we daily be experiencing that baptism where we're declaring the Lord, we're committing ourselves to be a follower of Christ and we are committing ourselves to put sin in its place because Jesus did. Jesus put sin in its place once and for all. And so we know and we believe because scripture tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether we're ready for that day or not, we will eventually do that. And what a great opportunity we have to not just sit around and wait for that day, but to this day and every day be able to embrace the resurrection of Christ. Because in, like in baptism, we often say, now arise to walk in the newness of life. Jesus offers that opportunity every single moment of our lives. And that's the kind of forgiveness that enables us to start living anew and living again. There was a church in Texas, Houston, Texas, Jer Jersey Village Baptist. And this was back in 1985. The congregation began their evening service at 6.30, expecting a routine worship. However, during the invitation, a young girl walked down the aisles. They had invitation regularly. And she confessed her sins to the Lord in front of the whole congregation and sought the encouragement from the church. After her response, other members from the church started trickling down the aisle and they were confessing their sins. And around 9 p.m., some of the members um, were, uh, some of the members uh, relieved a couple that had been working in the nursery because the couple had sent somebody to let them know they would like to come in and join in with this prayer time. So other members went and took over for them in the nursery and they came back in and went up front praying. The couple went directly to the altar. They asked for prayer. Their son had run away four months ago and because he wanted his freedom, they didn't even know where he was. And he didn't want to answer to anyone. While the church was praying for him, he was at Mardi Gras in Galveston. But all of a sudden, he felt God was telling him to go home. And he felt it strongly. So he made the 90-minute trip from Galveston to Houston and got home, and the house was dark. And he thought, well, surely they can't still be at church. But he went to church anyway. The deacon recognized him at the back door and pointed to his parents who were still kneeling at the front altar praying for him.
How surprised were they when he tapped them on the shoulder and said, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry. And indicated that he wanted to come home and recommit his life to Christ. Now, you say, well, what? that's a great story, but what does that have to do with this? It started by one young girl being willing to walk up to the front of the church and say, I have sinned. That confession is powerful in moving people. I'll tell you this. If we don't understand that there is no point in doing any revitalization, I'm telling you this, that we might as well shut the doors and say, we're done worshiping here unless we are a people of prayer. And unless we profess and declare God as our God, unless we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, unless we commit ourselves to living it out every day, every day. And that one person that was referred to earlier by Doug was talked to me as well. I talked to him a year or two ago and he said, I'm now bringing my grandkids. He said, you have no idea how this event inspires me to just see all of the people come in that we have an opportunity to show the love of God to. And he was just saying, it moves me just to see it all unfolding. Our call is to be a people of prayer. And the only reason, the only reason that everything went so well at the carnival was because of the grace and blessing and love of God. So let's be a people of confession. Let's be a people of prayer because we can't do anything without the Lord's help and without the Lord's leading. And the only way we're going to touch that leading is, in fact, the only way we're going to step into the resurrection and step into the truth of, that Jesus lives is by humbling ourselves in prayer for each other, for the world, for all the brokenness, but praying diligently as a people of God. May we be known for that, for being a prayerful people. Come, let's, let's sing together, Because He Lives, great Gaither song that is a powerful message for us.